put it during the slideshow as well. There is um, some missing files. I think those are the pictures that you're supposed to be putting in there. I think that next year we want to insert the picture of someone in this congregation taking the leap of faith. And as I started to think about all the reasons that I might not go on a mission trip, I started to think about, well, I'm really the family ministries pastor around here. I'm not the missions pastor. And that really wouldn't be like fulfilling the job description of the family ministries pastor to go on the mission trip, would it? And then I started to think, you know, all the things that I wouldn't get done around here if I went on that mission trip. You know, there'd be some balls that might drop and some things that wouldn't get accomplished. I also started to think about how much my family relies on me and how much I have a role as a dad to be around. And, and, and all of the other things that I could be doing if I were not going on that mission trip. And I realized that you have the same questions in your life. You have those same issues because if you can add an extra week to your work year, then you know that you can get that extra thing done. Maybe that extra case solved or that extra project done for your office. And it really is a sacrifice to take a week or more out of your life in order to go on a mission trip. It takes that decision to dis- that you are going to pause the furthering of God's kingdom here at your work, in your family, here at the church, in order to further God's kingdom somewhere else in a different part of the world. So anyone want to be one of those missing files? Want to fill in those gaps? Just let us know after the worship service. Andy would love to talk to you, Jason, myself, and um, you can see God's working on my heart. But I've heard that we need to decide really, really soon. So let's jump into the text. We're on the high altitude series, and we have been on the mountain with Jesus, uh, studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for the past month. And what we've discovered is that Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, took his disciples and all the people that were following him up to the mountain, and he started to give them these challenges. And he started to tell them about how the world should work, and he talked about salt, and he talked about light, and he talked about forgiving your brothers and your sisters before you come to worship, and he talked about loving your enemies, and he talked about... Give to everyone who begs from you and, and bar, let loan to anyone who wants to borrow from you. Um, and, and, he, and he challenged us to, to live in a different way, in a new way. <coughs> Excuse me. And so then we have a big period of time that takes place. Jesus' ministry. He actually goes around and he lives out the things that he asked his disciples to do. He went and he, and he healed people and he walked into villages where there were enemies of people and he, and he loved them and he transformed them. And then we are now nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. And he's going up another mountain. Right after he has told his disciples that the call of the cross, the, the call to follow Jesus is the call of the cross. And that his call is the call of the cross. To follow God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. And he has just told Peter, who we are going to see in this text. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm still getting over this thing. Don't worry, I'm not serving communion today, so you're okay. He has just told Peter, uh, right before this text, that he is going to um, be the rock on which the, on which the church is founded. And Peter's mind must have just been um, completely transformed, thinking, me? I'm the person on which you want to build this church? And Jesus hints at a succession plan. And now he asks his disciples, three of them, to go up the mountain. So let's fall into the text here. It starts on Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. 
And it starts out this way. It says, six days later, Je- six days later, Jesus took with him three disciples, Peter and James and his brother John, and he led them up a very high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear. But Jesus came to them and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Thank you. Now, this text is is a great text. It is one of those pinnacle moments, no pun intended. It's a transforming moment, no pun intended again. I'm not smart enough to intend all these puns. And it is this thing that a lot of people look at and they think about the details, the little things that are happening in the text that are important. And so you'll hear a lot of sermons talking about the little details of this text. And one of the details is Peter. Peter is this person who Jesus has just indicated he is going to build his church on. And he, along with James and along with John, go up the mountain. And it seems as though Peter is a little out of place. He's a newbie. He's a rookie. And he's just been invited into the board meeting of all times. The most important merger of the centuries and the millennia is taking place right here. This is like two of the biggest corporate entities getting together and having a great meeting. And suddenly the successor, the person who's been appointed to come in, the associate, the young associate who who has been kind of dubbed as the next leader of the company says the dumbest thing that you've ever heard in your whole entire life. And if you've ever been a rookie in a meeting before, you know what this feels like. You know what it feels like to try to impress the the people who are in the meeting and, and realize that you just stuck your foot in your mouth. Maybe you're not. Maybe you guys are smart and you just stay silent in these situations. Because there were two other disciples and they were silent, weren't they? James and John. But Peter, man, you could do a whole sermon on how Peter just was missing the whole entire point and in fact, the other Gospels make a note that, that Peter was really out of place with what he was saying. But what I also do like about Peter is that Peter is not perfect. That Peter isn't the greatest newbie to come along. He's not the greatest rookie. He's not this perfect person that you think Jesus would have chosen to lead the church. 
Instead, it seems that he's really messed up and he's not that in tune with what's going on around him. And he's just full of passion and full of energy. I get really encouraged when I hear that Peter was chosen by Jesus. Because I know that I'm just a mess up when it comes down to things. And I know that I'm going to screw up the situation or I'm going to say the wrong thing. And yet, somehow, Jesus chose Peter to be the person who is going to be continuing Jesus' work after Jesus is raised from the dead. That's pretty amazing. But you see, I think this is just one of the details. This is one of the small things that is happening. Let's just step back for a moment and really take in the profound nature of what's occurring. Moses, Elijah, it sounds like a joke if you think about it. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, Peter, James, and John meet at the top of a mountain. But it's not. It sounds completely out of the box, but it's something that actually happened. That there was a meeting with two of the people who were formative in God's work on this planet. Moses, whom God chose to bring about the law. Moses, this broken criminal who had murdered somebody, who had led these people apparently out into the desert. He couldn't even get them into the promised land. He was never able to realize all of God's promises for the people of Israel, the people of God. And in a lot of ways, he probably ended his life thinking that he had been shortchanged, that he never really got to be a part of the promise. And Elijah, who, who prophesied to a people who were enslaved and who were oppressed and, and who said that something was coming, and in a lot of ways, he probably lived his whole entire life not ever really feeling like he had seen the thing come that he thought was going to come and that he had said was going to come and that he had been told by God would come. Yet, they're invited Moses and Elijah into this meeting. And you have Jesus whose face is shining like an angel and his clothes are dazzling white in the center of this meeting. And then you have three rookies who probably had no idea what their life would turn out like. They had no sense of how important they would be to God's work in this world. They were sitting at the top of this mountain, almost thinking that they were bystanders, that they were probably just, you know, footnotes in the course of history. But Jesus knew what work they would be doing for the kingdom of God. And what I like so much about this vision is where Jesus is transfigured and these people are meeting there is the glances that must have gone back and forth between Moses and Peter. And Elijah and James and Jesus and Moses. And it was like the great merger of all time. It was the great coming together. And the Gospels talk again and again and again and again about how Jesus is the bringing together of all things. And Jesus is the knot that ties all of history together. He's the glue upon this uh, that brings this whole narrative of this confusing thing called humanity together. Everything that was before and everything that will be and everything that is. It's all in this moment. And of course, there's Peter who says, hey, does anybody need some coffee? Or do you want to take a group picture? <laughs> he's hard to get out of your mind, isn't he, when, he's, when you're thinking about this story. But it's this powerful moment. It's this pinnacle moment. And you can almost see Elijah and Moses looking forward and seeing Jesus and feeling encouraged and seeing Peter and saying, what in the world? You chose that guy? 
Really? That's what you're putting all of your hope, all of the hope of the world is going to be put in that guy and the other two guys and whoever those people are, they don't even look like scholars. They don't even look like they know the law. They just look like fishermen. And Jesus probably said, well, they are. And I bet they were just wishing that they had the opportunity that Peter and James and John had and all of the knowledge and all of the power that Jesus was giving them to transform the world. You know, it's amazing to think that we get to join them at the top of the mountain. Through the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, we as Christians believe that we are actually there with them in some cosmic mystery. We are able to join them right now at the top of that mountain. And we are able to, because they followed Jesus' command to tell people after he had been raised from the dead. See, you can read this as a command not to tell people, but what you really can read into it is it's a command to tell people. Once Jesus has been raised from the dead, he wanted everybody to know about this moment. This was important. And you can see, looking back and forth between us and Elijah and us and Moses, you can see them looking down and even maybe Peter and James and John looking into our eyes and talking and and hovering over the conversation here and just wishing that they had the opportunity that we have today. That they had the opportunity with the click of a button to tell the whole entire world about Jesus. They had the opportunity with just going down to the store and picking up a video camera. They could do a video that would inspire maybe millions of people if they just sent it around the world. About what a church can look like. What a grief group can look like. What a group of people who are just learning English can look like when it's transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And you know what I think happens in those moments when we start to realize that all of human history has come down to this moment in so many ways, is we can begin to fall to the ground. We get overwhelmed. When we start to understand all of who Jesus Christ is, He is God incarnate. When we start to understand all of the brilliance and all of the glory of Jesus, we start to get overwhelmed. And we fall to the ground. And we're overcome by fear, just like those disciples were. And what I love about this text is where Jesus walks up to the disciples. It says that Jesus came up to them, and he touched them, and he was saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And as you start to think about how mundane your ministry might be, and how mundane you feel like the things that God is calling you to, and how you might just be a bystander or a footnote in the history of the world, why? Why wouldn't the story of Peter and James and John inspire you to understand that God uses totally normal people and he brings them to the pinnacle of the mountain so that they can make an unbelievably beautiful future for the rest of the world? I'm compelled by that. And I have to be honest, I'm a little bit of afraid of the future. And it takes Jesus Christ, that moment for him to come in and to touch And to speak those words of encouragement and to say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be encouraged. And then tell others about this moment. This coming together moment. Folks, have you ever heard of the tipping point? Does anybody know that tipping point? There's a great book. You don't have to read it after I tell you this. The tipping point basically says that in all these companies uh, all around the world, um, a lot of these companies, for example, Hush Puppy was one of the companies. They made shoes for years and years and years. And nobody liked their shoes. 
Uh, actually, it's not they didn't like it. They just didn't know about it or it wasn't catching on. It wasn't a trend. And then like three skateboarders in Utah decided to start wearing hush puppies. And before you knew it, the whole entire company had one million orders for hush puppies. And, and the author calls this the tipping point. That all the things have been built in. That all of the foundation has been built in. And there's this tipping point at which a company discovers all of its potential. As a church, we have known for quite some time that that tipping point is very near. That that tipping point for all of us to have more ministry opportunities than we ever imagined, to serve other people in ways that we never could have possibly imagined, are right around the corner. And if you look like a video like we just showed this morning, and you look at the opportunities like the Malawi mission and the, and the Costa Rica mission trip, you realize that the tipping point is right now. But what it takes is for Jesus Christ to come up to us in our lives because some of us are overwhelmed by it. Some of us can't even make the small decisions that call us to go on a mission trip to Costa Rica or to Malawi or to serve in a ministry or to start a small group in our home or to even start just inviting our coworkers to church. So right now, let us, let us enter into a intentional time of prayer where we ask Jesus for the power and the encouragement to step out in a new way. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we confess that, that we are overwhelmed and that we have been overwhelmed. And every time someone asks us to do something for ministry or encourages us or challenges or we hear you speaking into our lives, we get overwhelmed that, that the task is either too big for us, Lord, or that we're not good enough for the task or that somehow we're going to fail or that the task is going to overcome us. Lord, we recognize that these are fears. And Lord, we do pray that you would come over to us, that you would touch us, and that you would speak those same words of encouragement that somehow transformed Peter from this cowardly individual and James and John to these people who were willing to answer the call of the cross. Lord, we pray for the people in our midst, the people that will be encountering as we come down from the mountain. As you move the mountains beneath our feet and you transform the landscape before us, Lord, we pray that you would, you would encourage us so that we could be as Peter was, willing to step forward, answer the call to be the hope of the world. Despite the fact that we're broken individuals, Lord, we know that we have no business doing this except for your grace and your mercy and your love. So thank you, Lord, for choosing us. Amen.